we get asked a lot, you know, when people say, but I want a blockchain, and you go, why? Until you can tell us why you want this technology, there's no, there's no conversation here. It's basically straight up to the, what is the problem you want to solve? And you want them to come to the conclusion where, whether the blockchain is going to be helpful or not. Because this is hard tech, but it's not about the technology solving the problem, it's about how do you redesign the problem itself. You have to future state it and say, what would this problem look like in the future? Because this is going to take a few years to get there. So how do you imagine the problem statement and how do you imagine the hypothesis to support that mm. statement? Welcome to episode 124 of Be The Drop, a weekly podcast sharing stories from inspiring people so we can learn from their experiences. I'm Amelia Veal, Director at Narrative Marketing and firm believer in the superpower of storytelling. The Internet of Things has made data an important commodity, but there is increasing distrust in how our data is used and managed. Blockchain, a practice of decentralising data and creating rules around how we access, record and use data underpins a monumental shift in the use of technology and the trust we put in the keepers who hold our private information. Katrina Donaghy is the co-founder and co-CEO of Civic Ledger, a technology startup that provides blockchain solutions for the public sector. Having spent several years learning the technology and being involved in multiple successful startups, Katrina is considered an industry expert in blockchain by the likes of RMIT University. In today's episode of Be The Drop, I speak to Katrina about how blockchain technology could revolutionise services in government, how we use banking and our interactions with artificial intelligence. Katrina's background in sociology provides a human perspective for our conversation instead of purely focusing on the technology. Because at the end of the day, it's how humans engage with and govern blockchains that will have the greatest impact. Recorded live from Southstart, this is Katrina's version of Be The Drop. Would you like to join me on a creative podcasting journey? Then head along to my first ever Adelaide Fringe show called Pop Your Podcast Cherry, an interactive podcasting event on Tuesday 19th or 26th of February at The Jade. Tickets are only $20 each and are available via the Fringe website, linked in the show notes. I would love to see you there. Thank you so much, Katrina, for joining me here at South Start for the next episode of Be The Drop. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure to chat with you. I said to you, I saw you downstairs, I said, oh, Katrina, you're on my hit list. Yes. I did sort of warn you, I'm coming as a bit of a blockchain novice, but you're here at South Start to explain a bit about blockchain and tell us what you do in that space. Yes. So I thought it might be a great opportunity to ask a few questions around that and explain that for my listeners. Sure, sure. So I will give you the official definition of what the blockchain technology is and then we'll sort of break it down a bit. So it's a decentralized network of computers that show a registry of transactions or assets that are in a peer-to-peer -peer distributed model um, and it's secured by cryptography. So what does that mean? <laughs> yes please. What does that mean? 
because that's your that's your five second. Uh, this is what blockchain technology is. Basically, so blockchain technology is what we call the trust. So because nobody owns the the systems, nobody owns the data or owns the nodes, you're able to get consensus on the data, and therefore people can trust it. Because at the moment we talk about Internet of Things. And everyone's like thinking, well, why is data so important? It's because we base public policy on data, we base budgets on data, mm -hmm. transactions on data, how we design systems and economies on data. But at the moment, we don't know how to verify that data. Mm -hmm. And it's, it comes at a cost. So, so we spend trillions of dollars every year in jobs just to put trust into a transaction. That's accountants, auditors, mm -hmm. just to say that that transaction has actually happened. And then we spend so much time auditing transactions to see who did what, when did it happen. And then if there's been any nefarious activity, then things go to court. And that's another cost. Mm. So that's a big explanation of blockchain technology. Oh, but it's such a fascinating explanation because there's so many layers in there. It and is. as you were talking, and, and, and I think that's probably where people get a bit overwhelmed by blockchain because there's so many layers and we're coming, as you say, we're, we're changing. It's a big change it in is transactions and the blockchain, data. The blockchain technology is governance. And I think that's the problem, which I'll talk about tomorrow is, People come from it from a technology perspective and think, oh my God, it's crypto and it's that nefarious thing and it's the dark web and things like mm. that. You've got to get beyond that. Mm. You really have to say, let's do a bit of self-education and go learn. Basically, blockchain is a governance technology because it actually asks us for the first time to ask ourselves, where is this data coming from? And then what are the rules that are associated with the data and how we transact with each other? Mm. And what is the standard that we're going to put in place to verify how technology is built? Mm. So it's about 75% governance and 25% about tech. It's big. It mm. requires people to think differently about how we work with each other. And that's a massive mind shift. It's a massive, it's a cultural change shift. Do you think that the recent data breach with Facebook has opened people to be more accepting of it? Look, it depends on you as an individual. Like. I do not have Facebook. I refuse to have Facebook. I refuse to use Messenger. Any product associated with Facebook, I refuse. This is the other thing about this technology. It starts to require you to take personal responsibility. Because if you really look at blockchain technology and how transactions and how we actually digitalize assets, it requires you to manage public and private keys. And that's like, really important because there's no third party that's going to reset those keys for you. If you lose them, your access to those assets or your data is gone because you are having to take personal responsibility for your data and how you manage your assets. And that's another big problem yeah. <laughs> in humanity is that we're not, we're just so, so easy to just push that responsibility to a third party and we wonder why we have data breaches. The technology is not the weakest link, it's humans that are the weakest link. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, we've we've got to sort that stuff out. We're kind of slow learners with understanding that humans yeah, are the way. Yeah, yeah. How many times? It's not. I think it's not until it actually happens to you that then you start taking. You go right. Okay, I need to start thinking about my digital footprint. I need to start thinking about my data. It's not until it actually happens to you 
that you're going to be affected by that and those decisions will have to happen. But yeah, blockchain in the future, it's not there yet. And I think, again, that's why we have such a disillusionment around the technology because people are going, but it's been 10 years. Surely we should see commercial blockchains by now. And we go, well, technically it's been three years. Uh, yes, the white paper came out in 2008, but that was for Bitcoin. That was to solve the problem of uh, digital cash. You know, how do we actually digitalize, digitalize cash um, to solve the double spend problem? So when MP3s first came into the market, you could actually copy an MP3 and I could send it to you and you wouldn't know that you didn't have the original. That's because it's digital and you could double spend it. The white paper back in 2008 solved that problem. Mm. So once we solved the problem where we couldn't double spend a digital asset, that's when things started to change. All of a sudden we could actually do a digital twin of something physical and give its attributes and, and allow it to be moved faster. Mm. And, but it couldn't be changed, it couldn't be, rep it couldn't be double spent. So an easy way of understanding that is as a concert ticket, you receive it in paper well, downloadable as a PDF, but somebody else can also take that PDF, the exact same one, mm. and, and walk into the door first and spend it. And then you come along, go to spend it, and they go, no, it's already been, somebody's already been here. Somebody's already got your ticket. And you're going, but no, I'm the original holder of that ticket. And they go, we don't really care. But if your asset is assigned to your public and private key, only you can unlock the value of that asset and spend it. Mm. So it starts to change the way we have a relationship with value, uh, with trust, with taking personal responsibility. So what then are those, you know, future looking forward, what do you see as some of the main benefits of how we can use it? You know, if we go through this mind shift and yeah. we embrace blockchain, well, what then? Well, I think the challenge is, is that you have to push it to the back. And that's like with all emerging technology, consumers don't care. So you've got to actually take the technology and put it in the back and make the front so elegant that the last thing that they'll know is that they'll see a sign on their web, on when they download an app or they're on a website, they see that it's secure, but they can also see that it's actually enabled by blockchain. And that's all they want to care. Hmm. They don't want to know how it works. Let's talk about the problem we want to solve. Yeah. Let's create, let's talk about what's actually a problem with the current way things work and how this technology can create more efficiencies and deliver value. Hmm. And then you get people starting to engage. But at the moment, we're having the wrong conversations. Yeah. So for you then, what are some of the key problems that it can really solve? Look, for us, it's... It's about really creating uh, Government 2.0. So what do we mean by Government 2.0? At the moment, governments are trying to create open data, but the data is, is not actually in good quality. Mm. It actually comes from different silos. They can't even get agreement of what the data is. So when they put it into open data, nobody's trusting it no. to innovate with. So they won't touch it. It's not useful. Basically, what we look at is digitalization of government services. So all governments around the world are saying, oh, how do we actually do digital transformation? How do we do digital transformation? So they think by PDFing a paper transaction is digitalization. It's not. You still got to download it. You still got to print it off. You still got to write all over it and scan it and send it back. And then somebody's got to take that data and put it into a database annoying, mm. inefficient. Mm. And I think what 
customers are looking for, and I hate using this terminology, but they want that Uber experience. Mm. They want to have it in their hand. They want to do two clicks, get what they need and move on. Mm. And that's their expectation of government. But government is not in that position to do that yet. Mm. You're awesome at putting together public policy and you're awesome at putting together budgets, but you're really shit at delivering services. Mm. Not your strong point. So don't do that anymore. How we don't do that anymore? How about we look at how you organize data? How do you actually structure data and make it discoverable? Sit back and allow industry to innovate, the startups to innovate and build better service delivery. The Uberize your data to get better service delivery. So we look at um, things that can be digitalized, like things like licenses and permits. So you think about assets that can be fractionalized because I know talking to very young humans, uh, very smart women, young women, students and things like that, they don't want to own homes. They don't want to spend their entire, you know, 30 years of their life paying off a mortgage. Why do they want to do that? Mm. They've never experienced anything but digital. They want to see how they can, how can we fractionalize, how can we fractionalize a land title so they can have a share of a land title. They don't want the whole thing, Mm. but how do they get access to an asset that they can afford by giving, putting down $10,000 and say, I now have an interest in that asset. I don't own it, but I have an interest and it's proved that I have an interest in it because I'm on the registry Mm. that is associated with that land title. And then when the valuation of the title goes up, then through smart contracts, the valuation goes up, everyone gets their fair share back. Mm. So their value goes up. They're able to take that value and then borrow against it. So financing becomes a completely different proposition. Mm. Mm. Automated cars, when that comes into the future, you can take a share in an automated car, send it off to work. Mm. It makes money through smart contracts. It knows it needs to get maintained, so it goes off and gets maintained. And then the cost for that is taken out. (laughs) This is the world that we're moving to, and this is where we see the technology has a role to play. It's a foundation technology. Mm. It's not to solve all those problems. You still have to add AI, Internet of Things, but ultimately, at the end of the day, you have to agree on governance and Mm. ethics. How are we gonna govern ourselves? Mm. How are we gonna govern our relationship to assets? Mm, I think think that's the big, that's the challenge, really. And so I haven't said the word hash. I haven't said SHA-256. I haven't said ERC-20. I haven't said any of that to your listeners. Now, that's sort of the techie stuff that sits under the hood. What I've talked about is problems. Mm. But I've also talked about the future state of society. We're at this tipping point now. Where are we going to go? Are we going to stay in Facebook land? forever and turn ourselves into dystopia or are we going to lean in and take some responsibility of our relationship with data and assets and government and, and community which was and community know. how do we start all self-organizing ourselves as community around shared assets and i think when i talked about humanity and you know way back then when communities organized them their, their, their capital systems and how they traded with each other. They traded based on value that was agreed by the community. So money is this thing that we've created over time and told banks that they're the custodians of the money and they will issue it to us and you know we earn it and then they hold it for us and they charge us a lot of money for that. 
for us to transact with each other. <laughs> um, so banks are having to wake up. That's why we've now got open banking and you know banks are kicking around blockchain and looking at, but they're looking at it from an efficiency perspective. They're looking at it from how do we stay in business? Yeah. Well, they, they should, I suppose, for because, a because, starting point. Yeah, because we still kind of trust our banks, even though we've gone through the Banking Commission and all that sort of stuff. You're not going to see a mass exodus from banking or institutions. But what this technology does is it actually, it actually requires um, transparency mm. um, by opening up how you actually govern yourselves as an institution. Mm. So people want to know, like, this is why you have a lot of um, interest in provenance of supply chain, like Leanne Camp, who's our now Chief of chief Entrepreneur Officer in um, Queensland. She founded a company called Everledger in 2015 mm. to solve the problem of provenance of diamonds, because provenance of diamonds is, a, is massive, it's opaque, but a lot of blood diamonds get into the supply chain. Mm. And that's not good. No. So people want to know where the diamonds have come from. She's solving that problem. She's not talking about the technology. The technology is an enabler to solve the problem, but she's looking at it from a human perspective. By using this technology, how does it take blood diamonds out of the supply chain? How does this save lives? And that's when you find really interesting use cases for this technology. It's not about, oh, let's go run an ICO and make millions of dollars, and then we'll think about solving a problem. A lot of we get asked a lot, you know, when people say, but I want a blockchain, and you go, why? <laughs> That's the first thing. And if they can't say why, mm. we get up from the table mm. and say, well, until you can tell us why you want this technology, there's no, there's no conversation here. Because this is hard tech, but it's not about the technology solving the problem. It's about how do you redesign the problem itself? Mm. Because you can't solve it in the way it sits today. Mm. You have to future state it and say, what would this problem look like in the future? Because this is going to take a few years to get there. So how do you imagine the problem statement and how do you imagine the hypothesis to support that mm. statement? Uh, this is about, this is something that's always been in the past. The tragedy of commons is basically what blockchain solves. Mm. It's how do you actually, which goes back to the whole relationship between self-interest and community good. And that's called tragedy of commons. When you have someone who has stronger self-interest over a community that would deplete a common shared resource, mm. like land, mm. water, things that are necessary for a community to thrive and be healthy, somebody will come in and take over that resource and consume it too fast. And it, it can't self-sustain uh, self that type of behaviour. Mm. So blockchain basically gets that balance. Remember I was saying it's a team sport? Yeah. You have to collaborate. You have to get an agreement of the rules on how those common resources are going to be shared and consumed. And and so but and who's determining the rules? So then who, you know, who Brilliant governs question. the gatekeeper type Brilliant thing? Great question. See, this is a this. Brilliant. Great question. Um, this is what I love about this. this so you're getting to our point now. You're now <laughs> we'll land. get there eventually. You no, know, no, no. But this is the thing because you just asked the right question. You didn't. Those are the questions you always have to ask. Who is the authority? Who's the authorizer? Who can actually verify that that transaction has happened mm. or where that data has come from? Now, that's why we work with government. I come from government. I spent 20 years plus in government. Our co-founder, one of our co-founders used to be the chief digital officer for the South Australia government and also Victoria government. So him and I come from government. In Australia, again, Australia conditions, Australia is imperfect, but we trust government. We may not trust our politicians, but we do trust our government. So we trust the government to be the custodians of who has what. So when they issue a driver's license, 
The private sector is not issuing that. Industry is not issuing that. The government is saying, you have met the conditions to drive a car. Here's your right. Here's your license. And you hold that and you go, okay, but it does more than that now. It gives you your identity. It gives you the ability to walk through another door. It's your authenticator to say who you are. Only government can do that. So that's why we work with government, because we know that when we work with data, it's them that has to verify it. But we can help them do that a lot better. By sitting, rather than sitting in Excel spreadsheets or in proprietary software mm. that is siloed, we bring it into the blockchain. Mm. So we secure the data and then we put whatever data is in the public interest into those registries that can be discovered. Mm. So there are a lot of use cases where government hold registries that have to be publicly discoverable. We as a, as a citizen, by law, should be able to verify what is on that registry. There's a lot that can't be. That's for privacy and confidentiality. Mm. That's why we work with water, because water is actually an asset that sits on a public registry that has to be discoverable. We have to be able to go see it. But at the moment, you look at it and you can't see the price of water mm. because it's held back by the brokers. That's a problem, because if we don't know the true value of water, how do we value it? Mm. And that's why we get all this outcry about people claiming that putting water back into the environment is a waste of money. No, it's not. But because we don't know the value of water, mm. we have that argument and saying, well, that's just a waste of taxpayers' money. Why aren't we putting it more on agriculture? Mm. Again, common resource, tragedy of commons. How do we get that balance right? And it's only through trusted, transparent information that we as citizens then can actually make those decisions ourselves and then we start trusting government mm. and start valuing the services that we that they deliver to us, which is part of why we have democracy. Mm. So really when you're getting to the point, you're actually starting to see that blockchain is about democracy. It's about inclusion. It's about giving everyone a level playing field of being able to participate in an economy without being discriminated against because the tech can't discriminate and you've got good governance that sit behind it to actually mm. enable that inclusion to occur. Mm. That's where the technology gets interesting. Yeah. So you can see we've just gone from you asking me what is blockchain to now to say this is about democracy and this is about inclusion mm. and this is about creating a shared uh, collaboration over our common resources. Mm. And so then, you know, it, there was a lot of conversation in between getting to that point. So how do you communicate that? How do you go about fast-tracking that communication so that it's, you know... Okay, it's basically straight up to the what is the problem you want to solve. Mm. Once you get to them, because it's always you've got the subject matter experts sitting opposite you and they're the ones who've got the pain points. So only they understand what is the pain point and what is the problem they want to solve. And so it's really like trying to deliver any service. You need to understand if there's the fit for what the yeah, requirement exactly, is and exactly, match it. Exactly. So yeah. that's why you don't start with the technology first. Mm. You start with who you're solving this problem for mm. and why would they care? And is this technology going to create a better experience for your customer? Mm. Is this going to save money? Is it going to build efficiency? Is it going to build trust? Are you prepared to enable your data to be transparent? And that's another big thing. Then they go, ooh, well, what does that mean? We say, well, okay, let's go back and look at your business model. What is it in your business model that is actually creating this problem? And then they go, well, this is it. And you say, well, okay, let's redesign your business model. Mm. And then it comes back to governance. It comes back to the business rules. It comes to how you actually are delivering value.